Welcome to SNC's Critical Insights. I'm Annie Ostrager, a partner in the firm's litigation group, one of the co-heads of our labor and employment group, and a member of our criminal defense and investigations group. With me today is my partner, Camille Shields, who is also a member of the firm's criminal defense and investigations group. Earlier this month, we spoke about the newly adopted whistleblower program that went into effect as part of the Anti-Money Laundering Act of 2020. Today's podcast is a follow-up to that discussion with a focus on activity by the UK's Financial Conduct Authority that may have implications for non-US banks and commercial organizations. As we covered in our last episode, US regulators reward whistleblowers financially for reporting potential misconduct, but UK regulators have a different regime and have concluded that financial incentives through bounty awards don't encourage higher rates of whistleblowing or significantly increase transparency in the financial markets. So we'll discuss those differences and we'll discuss the FCA's increased focus on non-financial misconduct, such as sexual harassment. We'll also provide an overview of a new campaign launched by the FCA called In Confidence With Confidence and touch on some recent legislative activity. With that intro, Camille, can you give us some brief background on the UK whistleblower regime to frame our discussion? Yes, Annie, and it's great to be back with you to talk a bit more about activity by regulators that's relevant to whistleblowers. In the UK, a cornerstone piece of whistleblower legislation is the Public Interest Disclosure Act of 1998, or the PETA. The PETA protects, quote, workers, end quote, from retributive acts who come forward with certain types of information constituting a, quote, protected disclosure, end quote. A worker is construed broadly under the PETA, and to constitute a protected disclosure, the worker must make the disclosure to the appropriate person or body, and the worker must have a, quote, reasonable belief, end quote, that the disclosure, quote, tends to show one or more of the following. First, that a criminal offense has been committed, is being committed, or is likely to be committed. Second, that a person has failed, is failing, or is likely to fail to comply with any legal obligation to which he or she is subject. Third, that a miscarriage of justice has occurred, is occurring, or is likely to occur. Fourth, that the health or safety of any individual has been, is being, or is likely to be endangered. Fifth, that the environment has been, is being, or is likely to be damaged or sixth, that the information tending to show any of those topics that I just described has been, is being, or is likely to be deliberately concealed, end quote. In terms of the PETA's reach, it is irrelevant whether the wrongdoing occurred or would occur in the UK and whether UK law would actually apply. However, there must be a public interest element to the concern that is being raised. And Annie, you previously talked about anti-retaliation provisions in U.S. whistleblower provisions. What about under the PETA? Right, Camille. Being aware of anti-retaliation obligations in the U.S. is really important, and we talked about that on our last discussion. And in this respect, uh, the U.K. has a similar regime, which broadly prohibits retaliation. 
But Annie, as you previewed at the beginning of our discussion, a notable difference from the U.S. whistleblower program is that U.K. agencies do not actually incentivize workers to come forward with information regarding alleged wrongdoing by offering a financial incentive or award to potential whistleblowers. Rather, the general regime in the U.S. is that a whistleblower's compensation is tied to the unique information that's provided and the success of the agency in pursuing an enforcement action, as well as the size of the recovery against that institution or entity. But in the UK, the PETA regime solely allows for compensation if the whistleblower suffers from a retaliatory action for actually submitting a disclosure. The UK's Employment Tribunal then determines the appropriate compensation based on the action that was suffered by the whistleblower. And importantly, there's no cap on this compensation award and the injured whistleblower can seek compensation for any financial loss that's related to that retributive action or any emotional injury, what the UK calls an injury to feelings. Right, Camille, that piece is a very different setup than the US regime. And interestingly, after considering the use of financial incentives for whistleblowers, including as done by US regulators, the FCA, and the Bank of England Prudential Regulation Authority, or PRA, concluded, unlike their U.S. counterparts, that they would not provide similar financial incentives for whistleblowers to report information to those agencies. And Annie, there are a couple of additional acts and directives that are relevant to whistleblowing that we should mention briefly. First, the Bribery Act of 2010 plays a role in the existing landscape of whistleblower procedures in the U.K., that act establishes criminal liability for, quote, offering or receiving bribes, end quote, and for failing to prevent a bribe made by an associated person on behalf of a company. Yes, that's right. And that intersects a little bit with our last discussion, too, on the agenda combating corruption through the use of whistleblowers. And under the you know, UK regime and here, an entity can defend against this type of charge if it can demonstrate that it had adequate procedures in place, including an effective whistleblower program. And Annie, in addition to the Bribery Act of 2010, the Criminal Finances Act of 2017 also requires the implementation of effective whistleblower procedure. The Criminal Finances Act establishes criminal liability for tax-related offenses and the defense to such a charge may require proof of an adequate whistleblower program. Again, much like the Bribery Act of 2010, where if you have an effective program that can demonstrate that you shouldn't have criminal liability. Also worth noting is the EU Whistleblower Directive, which was passed in December of 2019. That directive gives EU member states until December of this year, 2021, to implement minimal standards for whistleblower procedures. Of course, given the UK's exit from the EU, it doesn't have to enforce the directive but there are many UK commercial organizations that actually might have a presence in EU member states. And those organizations might wanna consider the requirements of the directive, particularly the requirement of establishing internal reporting procedures for whistleblowers. Now, Annie, let's talk a bit more about the FCA's recent emphasis on whistleblowing to counter sexual harassment and other non-financial misconduct in the workplace. Can you take us through some of those issues? Yes, this is an interesting and different focus that we've seen in recent years. In September of 2018, when this was a worldwide focus, a member of the FCA executive team sent a letter to 
the Women and Equalities Committee of the House of Commons, which categorized sexual harassment in the financial services sector as misconduct, which falls within the scope of the FCA's regulatory framework. And the FCA has made clear that it expects companies to have in place whistleblowing procedures through which persons may disclose relevant information relating to sexual harassment and other personal misconduct. We've seen activity in this space already, including an investigation that stemmed from whistleblower complaints related to alleged sexual harassment at a financial institution that raised issues related to internal reporting procedures. And this is a space that is worth watching as it's an area of heightened regulatory and public scrutiny. Yes, Annie, it is quite interesting. And indeed, last year, the FCA banned from the financial sector three men convicted of sexual offenses. And they determined that these men were, quote, not fit and proper, end quote, to work in financial services. I just think that this action is really interesting because it underscores that the agency is quite interested and committed to characterizing non-financial misconduct as a breach of conduct rules. And it's interesting to think about the fact that you will have this non-financial misconduct that is still being characterized in this way and is being covered in this fashion. Yes, totally agreed, Camille. And now switching gears a little bit, we discussed in our last podcast together the June 3rd Biden memorandum establishing the fight against corruption as a core U.S. national security interest. And we've seen similar activity from the FCA. We have in March of 2021, this year, the FCA established a campaign that you mentioned at the outset of our podcast, which is designed to encourage whistleblowing. That program or campaign is titled In Confidence with Confidence. As part of that campaign, the Executive Director of Enforcement and Market Oversight at the FCA explained that, quote, we want all whistleblowers to feel welcomed by us and to feel safe because of us. When whistleblowing works, well, it helps consumers, markets, and firms, and it keeps everyone safe. And that is our aim, end quote. Annie, can you walk us through some of the steps that the FCA has taken as part of this campaign? Yes, the FCA has taken several concrete steps, which include publishing materials for firms to share with their employees, including a digital toolkit, establishing a procedure to assign each whistleblower a dedicated case manager, increasing the resources intended to support the whistleblower program, including by adding staff, developing a mandatory learning program for those staff, and updating its website to be a more robust source of information. So remains to be seen what will come out of that, but certainly a lot of activity underway. Now, Camille, to wrap up, can you review any potential changes to the UK whistleblowing landscape that we should keep an eye on? Thanks, Annie. Yes, I'll briefly mention three bills that have been discussed recently in Parliament. First, the Public Interest Disclosure Protection Bill, which originated in the House of Commons. Among other changes, that bill proposed repealing the PETA and establishing an independent body to protect whistleblowers. However, that bill failed to complete its passage through Parliament before the end of session, although it is possible that that bill could be reintroduced. Additionally, the Office of the Whistleblower Bill originated in the House of Lords, and it would create an Office of the Whistleblower. General debate on aspects of the bill took place last month on June 25th, 
and the committee stage for that bill has not yet been scheduled. Finally, worth noting is a bill entitled a bill to strengthen whistleblowing protection, which was drafted by a whistleblowing charity. That bill would establish an independent body called the Whistleblowing Commission and reform, but not repeal the PETA, unlike the public interest disclosure protection bill that I just discussed. What's notable about these three bills is that they demonstrate a real focus by legislators in both houses of parliament on appropriate and effective protections and procedures for whistleblowers. And most importantly, all three bills propose creating independent bodies that would actually monitor whistleblowing activity, suggesting an interest by parliament in reform of the UK's whistleblower regime, a regime that we've been discussing throughout this podcast. Thanks, Camille. In light of all this, it's clear that it'll be important for institutions that interact with the UK whistleblower regime to ensure that they have procedures that enable would-be whistleblowers to report alleged wrongdoing, that they're paying attention to workplace issues and other non-financial potential misconduct. And we will continue to watch developments and activity in this space. Thank you for listening to SNC Critical Insights. For more information about our practice, please visit us on the web at www.sulcrom.com. Thank you.